Well, we're not quite through the significance of being a Christian series that we've been working on. Uh, today's portion is going to be the idea that we are saved to serve. Most people say, oh, well, saved so I can go to heaven. Well, you get to go to heaven, but you were saved so you could serve. We've seen through this series that the Christian is truly blessed. A Christian is a person reborn. He or she is provided the opportunity to live a new life. You don't have to go around doing the things that you used to do because through the strength of God you can do better. A Christian is one <coughs> who is belonging to the Lord. He or she is a special child of God. A Christian is one living by faith. He or she walks with God. A Christian is consecrated to God. He or she has been set apart to live a holy life. A Christian is guarded by the power of God. And he or she is not alone in their struggles against the powers of Satan and the evil in the world in which we live. But with blessings come responsibilities. There are obligations that come with our new opportunities. <coughs> there are duties that come with our calling. Indeed, the Christian has been called to serve God. We have been saved to serve. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 12.28 says, Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with the reverence and godly fear. As Christians, we know it's only reasonable that we be expected to serve God. Nothing we do can ever equal what He's done for us. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Each person has a ministry or a service. And each person is expected to fulfill that ministry or that service. And that could be any number of things. People hear the word ministry and they think, oh, that's somebody preaching. A ministry can be any number of things that glorifies God. In Colossians 4.17, the writer says, uh, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The Lord has got something for each of us to do, and once we know what that is, we need to step up and do it. 2 Timothy 4.5 says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. An evangelist can literally be anybody. It could be one of these people who travel all around trying to spread the gospel, or it could be somebody sitting and having a cup of coffee with a friend. An evangelist is simply somebody trying to lead others to Christ. So the concept of servitude or servanthood is a significant part of what it means to be a Christian, that our service to God might be more acceptable and fruitful. There's some things we can consider. The greatest of servanthood, being a servant of God, is a great honor. That's something we should consider. To be able to serve God is a great honor. The title of servant was what many men in the Old Testament were called. And at first occurrence of hearing it, you hear these names, you don't think servant, but that's how they referred to themselves. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Deuteronomy 9.27 were referred to as thy servant. Moses, 1 Kings 8.53, thy servant. Joshua in Joshua 24, servant of the Lord. Caleb in Numbers 14, my servant. Job in Job 1, my servant. Isaiah in Isaiah 20, my servant. Uh, multiples of the prophets in Jeremiah 7. It says, my servants, plural, speaking of the prophets. The New Testament writers referred to themselves as servants as well. James and James 1, Paul and Romans and Philippians, Peter and the book of Peter, Jude, and also John when he wrote Revelation. They all refer to themselves as servants of Christ, servants of the Lord, or one wording or another, people who serve Christ. And if the fact that all these Bible heroes refer to themselves as servants isn't enough to convince you, consider the fact that Jesus himself came to serve. That's why he came. Yes, he did come to save our sins, but he came down here not as a typical movie-style hero, but as somebody who was willing to serve. He was foretold to come as the suffering servant, Isaiah 53:13 through 53, 52:13 through 53:12. <coughs> Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider." Who hath beloved our, believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought up as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears he is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It's a long way about it, but that's the definition of a servant right there. He took on a bunch of burdens that weren't his, worked very hard to the point of pain and death on behalf of somebody else. That's a servant. Taking on things that aren't really their problem and working very hard, painstakingly, to get it done on behalf of another. He did not come here to be served, but to be a servant. Matthew 20, 28 even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, ministered unto, but to minister, he gave his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He's a king, and yet he wandered around as a carpenter, doing things for other people. He washed people's dirty feet, because he didn't have this high-minded ego that even though he really was better than everybody, he didn't walk around like, oh, I'm better than everybody. He went around and he did things for people. Even as our Lord and Master, he exemplified the servitude he desires of his disciples. John 13, 12-17 says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? And ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is no greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier ye if ye do them. He didn't just tell people the way to do things, he showed them. You say, I might, I might be the master, but I've kneeled right down and washed your feet. I've done a service for you because I want you to understand how important it is for you to serve others. What an honor if God were to look upon us as his servants, as he did these great men, including his own son, Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to tell you right now that he will if we put it into practice. If we do what the Lord has asked of us, then he will serve us just like he did the disciples. This, the concept of servanthood... Involves absolute obedience. <laughs> if you take the, the ultimate servant example of a slave-master relationship, the slave knows no law but his master's word. The master speaks, the slave does it. He has no rights of his own. He is the absolute possession of his master. He is bound to give his master unquestioning obedience. And that should describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should know that he is the master, his word is absolute, and we should just do whatever he says. It should especially, in light of all the verses we've read, like those in 1 Corinthians 6, and verses in Luke, and all throughout the ministry of Christ, we have to come to Jesus on his terms and not our own. Many so-called evangelists make up these new ways to get there, but if we're not doing it the way of Christ, then we're not being good servants because we're not following his absolute word. Luke 6, 46 says, Why call me ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How are you going to run around and say you're a Christian and the things you're saying and doing don't match up to the Bible? <clears throat> Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, anybody who wants to call themselves a Christian can call themselves one, but if you're not following the Bible, it's not going to do you any good. 
Being a servant involves absolute humility. Otherwise, absolute obedience is not possible. If you can't humble yourself, then you can't follow orders. When we have a humble opinion of ourselves, we are re receptive to the idea of complete obedience. For example, consider, consider Paul's self-estimation. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than, you, than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is within me. Paul penned most of the New Testament, but Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. Because instead of the worldly view of, check me out, I wrote the whole New Testament, he had the godly view of, I'm just a lowly sinner. I'd like to tell you some things that I know, but don't think for a minute that it makes me special. I just happen to know some things you ought to know. Ephesians 3.8 says, Unto me, who am the less than the least of all saints, is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Less than the least of all the saints. Attitude of humbleness. 1 Timothy 1.15, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith on fame. Ties it all together when you're humble and then you act in love. This is another self-help question. We need to know if this describes our relationship with Christ and His will. Are we humble? Are we acting in love? And are we recognizing that He is the ultimate Master? Luke 17, 10 says, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you say we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. In other words, no matter how much service you provide to the Lord, recognize your place. You're still a lowly sinner and you were only doing what was required of you. If we murmur or complain about what Jesus told us to do, we can't call ourselves servants. Because a servant does what the Master has asked and they don't murmur and complain about it, they do it because the Master's word is absolute. That's where we're going to leave off for the morning. This evening we'll come back with uh, the idea of absolute loyalty. But for now we're going to offer the invitation as we always do when we're together. The invitation is available to all, no matter what your need may be. Whether it's time to become a Christian or as a Christian you need your family, respond as we sing together. <laughs>